Greetings, church. Greetings, church. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Good morning. We're going to be reading from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, 1 through 2. Here we go. My name is Marvin, by the way. One should need to know. The Lord's word came to me. Human one prophesied against Israel, shepherds. Prophesied and said to them, the Lord has proclaimed to the shepherds, doomed to Israel's shepherds who tended themselves. Shouldn't shepherds tend to the flock? Word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hello, my name is Annalise. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 8, 31 through 32. So what are you going to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also freely give us all these things with him? The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 10, 1 through 2, 11, and 14. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Remain standing. Welcome back, everybody, from spring break. Good to see your lovely faces. Uh, Let's pray as we open the scriptures together this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. We thank you for the way that you call us to yourself. We ask now that even as our hearts and lives are laid bare before you, open before you, that you would work in us by your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and open up our eyes to see Jesus. Come and challenge us, confront us, conform us to the image of your Son. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In the year 1212, a young shepherd boy named Stephen had a vision from God, or so he said. He had a vision about how God would deliver the Holy Land back into the hands of Christians. Four crusades had already taken place, all of them miserable failures. And young Stephen had this vision that this could be different. And it would be different because this time they wouldn't send soldiers, but they would send children. It would later be called the Children's Crusade. Hundreds, if not thousands, of children were compelled to sort of go with him, or maybe you'd say their parents were compelled to allow their children to go with him, and they followed Stephen all through the French countryside. Some of them were, fell, fell prey to the heat and the physical strain, and abandoned the mission. Some of them would die in the Alps on their way down toward the Mediterranean. Others of them got on ships But we don't know what actually happened to them. It could be those ships sunk in a storm. It could be that when they arrived, they were kidnapped. It could have been that they fell victim to pirates who uh, sold them into slavery. 
But the ending of that crusade was tragic. Now, I tell you a story like that, and you're like, super random story, totally has nothing to do with my life, of an inspirational leader who claims to have heard from God, got thousands of people to follow him, and ended in failure. Like, oh, wait a minute. And all of a sudden, we realize stories like that are not so removed from our world, is it? And we hear a story like that and we think, gosh, here's a story that was supposed to go good because it's a shepherd and like it's a kid. Stephen himself was 12 years old and maybe it exposes to us that we repeatedly think with, with human leaders that this time it will be different. And of course, there's grades of human leaders. Not all are bad and not all are good. But too often we've had experiences where we've thought, this one will be different, this time will be different, only to find out that it wasn't different. Another inspirational leader claiming to follow God, getting a crew of people to go with them only to end in tragic failure. Even this week, we're reminded again of more news of church leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, people that we think are supposed to represent God that fall woefully short of the standard. It's a heavy way to begin, but we're in a series called Who is God? And we started this series a few months ago, and as Christians we confess that the God that we worship, the God that we belong to, is a God that exists in three persons, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we spent six weeks or so talking about the Father. Who is the Father? What do Christians confess about the Father and, what he, and who he is and then we were in this middle stretch here about who is the son. And as Jason recapped week one, he, he talked about Jesus as the son of God and son of man, the Messiah. And a week after that, I talked about Jesus as the healer. And last week, Jesus, the banquet host. And we're dealing with these themes or stories that we find ourselves reading over and over again in the scriptures. Like, there it is again. He's healing. Or there it is again. He's throwing a party. This morning, we're going to deal with an image that is so captivating but is often missed on us, and it's the image of Jesus as the good shepherd. Who is God, the Son, the good shepherd? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. John 10, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate but climbs over the wall is a thief. Now, Jesus is going to contrast himself with the, with the thief a few times in this passage. And he says, the one who doesn't enter through the gate but climbs over a wall, that's the thief, that's an outlaw. And the one who enters through the gates is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. We're going to say two things about the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. And we're going to take time with each one of these things to say why that is so. And the first thing we're going to say about Jesus as shepherd is that Jesus is the true shepherd. Amen. The true shepherd. The true shepherd, the one who, is, who actually has the right. We were singing this morning about Jesus. Jen said, not, he's just not one king among many. He's the only king, the highest king. And when we say that Jesus is the true shepherd, we're echoing that same message. Because the shepherd idea in the scriptures is not like some warm and fuzzy image. You know, maybe you've seen like the paintings or the memes of like European Jesus with a lamb across his shoulders, you know, and you're like, oh, Jesus, my little 
cute, warm and fuzzy Jesus. But there are many articles you could read about the difference between farming in the Middle East versus farming, say, on the lush green hills of Ireland or something. That these are different terrains. The terrain in the Middle East is different. The threat of wild animals is always present in the Middle East in a different way. And so the proximity and the skill set, you might say, that a shepherd needed to have was different in the Middle East. And this is why for Israel... Shepherd was the central and most compelling metaphor that they used to talk about their king. That, this is the image not of a warm and fuzzy gentle thing. This was their image of a leader. And the reason this goes way back in Israel's consciousness. It goes all the way back to Exodus. When Moses uh, encounters the burning bush, it says he was tending to his father-in-law's flock. And he saw this bush that was on fire. Before Moses was a deliverer, he was a shepherd. Before Moses was the great hero of Israel, he was a shepherd. So the shepherd image is, uh, shows up early in Israel's consciousness. And then, of course, there is the greatest king in Israel's history. Who is that? King David. And we all know the story. The prophet goes to find him. He, he, you know, where's your sons and all this stuff? And he's like, oh, these are all my sons. Oh, wait, there's one more. He's a shepherd. And so there's this image deep in Israel's consciousness that when you say the word shepherd, they think king, they think leader. And when Jesus says, look, there's a thief who climbs over the wall, that's not the real shepherd. The one who forced his way here, the one who connived and manipulated and tried to get himself into power, that's not your rightful king. And maybe they were thinking of Herod. We've had a lot of Herod sermons here at downtown over the last couple of months. Or maybe they're thinking of Rome. Maybe they're thinking of some other leader that they were tempted to look to. And Jesus says, I'm the one who comes through the gate. Now listen to this in Ezekiel 34. This is in the Old Testament working with the shepherd imagery. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is a strong prophetic word. Sometimes the prophets will say, woe to you, other nations. Sometimes they'll talk to the kings of Israel, but they'll call them kings, woe to the kings. But this is an unusual text because he's naming them as shepherds. He's trying to highlight the disparity or the discrepancy between the kind of leader they're supposed to be and the kind of leader they actually are. He says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured you have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Recognize what God is saying. He's saying there's sins of omission. You failed to do these things. And there's sins of commission. You were mean instead. You were brutal instead. You were harsh instead. And so they were scattered. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food from all the wild animals. Last week we read the text. Jesus feeding the 5,000, it says he had compassion on them because why? They were like sheep without a shepherd. But there was a king. Aha, Jesus is echoing Ezekiel's prophetic words. There are kings, quote unquote. There are shepherds, quote unquote. But there are bad shepherds. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're thinking that the failure of leadership 
is a uniquely 21st century problem. Or if you think that the failure of leadership is a uniquely American problem, I'm sure there are unique wrinkles in it because of our culture and our moments. But here, more than 2,000 years ago, is God saying, I'm against these shepherds. I'm against these ones who were supposed to lead but did not lead well. And what does God do? He vows to come and do the job himself. Listen to this, how Ezekiel continues. Verse 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will scatter, will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements of the land. A lot of scripture here this morning. Hang with me. I will tend them in a good pasture. This is reminiscent of Psalm 23. Makes me lie down in green pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Now here's the phrase again. I myself. God's going to do the job himself. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. When Jesus says, I'm the one who comes through the gates, he's saying, I am the true shepherd. Jesus is the true shepherd. The rightful king. You know, sometimes we get hung up about these questions about like, well, where, where, did, where did Jesus claim to be God? Like, didn't, wasn't Jesus like a good teacher who did some miracles? He was maybe kind of an end times prophet. But like, didn't like Paul invent the whole Jesus was God thing? And Christianity was a human invention that came up 200 years later. No doubt you've heard this in conversations with people, right? Here's the gospels themselves And when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, that's not Jesus picking a nice, warm, and fuzzy metaphor. He's saying, do you remember that the prophet said all these kings have failed and Yahweh himself would come and do the job himself? Jesus is saying, I am that. I am he. I am Yahweh who's come down. I am, in N.T. Wright's phrase, Jesus is how God became king. He's the true and rightful king. And he doesn't do it like in a sneaky way. Jesus isn't like, okay, covert revolutionary. He's like openly saying, I am the true shepherd. I'm not coming all over the wall at night. I'm not climbing over the gate. I'm coming through. This is why in a couple Sundays it's going to be Palm Sunday. And we'll remember that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the main street as a way of saying, we're not hiding this. This is who I believe I am. I am God come to as king himself. Jesus is the true shepherd. But maybe we ask ourselves this morning, well, why? Like, why is he the true shepherd? Like, just because he says so? Like, what is it about Jesus? Two things I want to say about this. The first is this, is that Jesus has the authority. It says in here that the real shepherd comes through the gates. Doesn't have to hide it. He has the authority. He's the true shepherd because he's the one who has the authority. But not just that, Jesus also has the responsibility. He has the responsibility. And this is why it's such a big deal that in Ezekiel, 
God doesn't just rebuke the bad shepherds. He says, I'll come and do what they should have done. I'll search. I'll seek. I'll bind up. I'll restore. I'll provide. I'll make them lie down in green pastures. Now, in leadership circles, sometimes we talk about people, and maybe you experience this in your job, you're in middle management somewhere, you're like, we recognize that it's a bad thing if you have all of the responsibility but none of the authority, right? So, like, something fails and you get blamed for it, but you're like, but I didn't have the authority to actually change the plan. Like, I'm close to the situation. I could see this was bad, but I didn't have authority. But now you're blaming me. I had all the responsibility but none of the authority. We recognize that. But what we don't talk about enough is that it's also poor leadership to want all of the authority and none of the responsibility. And a bad shepherd is a person who says, I want to be in charge. I want to call the shots, but I'm not taking any responsibility to provide, to care for, to rescue, to tend, to bind up. I want all the authority, but none of the responsibility. Now you're sitting here this morning, you're like, oh boy, <laughs> maybe I've experienced people like that. Maybe I've, I've actually, I, uh, maybe I've actually been failed by people like that. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking of a parent who said some words over you and said, you'll never be this, or this is all that you are. Or maybe you're thinking of a boss or a manager who tried to define you and tell you this is all that you'll amount to, this is how, this is as far as you'll go. Maybe it was a coach or a teacher Maybe it was a pastor who failed. When we say that Jesus has all of the authority and all of the responsibility, and therefore he is the true shepherd, what we're saying is all those other voices don't get to have the last word over you. All those other voices don't get to have the last word. And you say, well... I, this is what my last pastor told me. This is what my spouse said to me. This is what my parents, this is what my coach had once said. And, and I hear those words. Well, you, you know what? They don't have the ultimate authority over your life. They don't have it. They don't own you. You are not their sheep and they are not your shepherd. And I want you to hear it this morning and be free from that. Be free from that. They don't get to have that last word over you. And not only that, there is, only, there is one who takes the hurt that you've experienced personally. What I love about Ezekiel 34 is not, it, God doesn't just say, I'm against those bad shepherds. He says, and I will take responsibility and act on your behalf. If you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, I, I got some wounds along the way. I've been disappointed, I've been hurt, I've been, had, had things said, had things broken. The Lord takes that personally. He's not asking you to suck it up and just deal with it, submit. But God, I guess I'll look over, look, you know, overlook it because, you know, I mean, look at all these people that are being reached by, by them. Look at all these people that, whose lives, yeah, yeah, just, it's okay, it's okay. Some of you have been told that you've had to look the other way because, oh, but, you know, their gifting, their results. Their fruit, this company, this church. And some of you need to hear this morning that God says, 
That was wrong. I am against it. And I am for you. That was wrong. I am against it. And I am for you. That's what it means to call Jesus the true shepherd. The one who takes, who has full authority and takes full responsibility for you. He's the truest of them all. And then as the text goes on in verse 11, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. It's one thing if he's like, I'm the true shepherd. You're like, great, but are you good? <laughs> like, ah, oh, Jesus, are you good? Jesus is the good shepherd. Why is Jesus the good shepherd? John 10, verse 11 through 13, it says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for, his, for the sheep, and when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. This first time that Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep, some commentators say maybe it's a bit more of an expression that he's willing to die in order to protect the sheep. Later, you're going to see that actually Jesus says it directly and strongly. No, I'll actually give my life. But here he says it in the context of a defense. He says he leaves the, 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 the hired hand, sees the wolf and leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his, and so the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. Woo! Why is Jesus the good shepherd? It's because Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. The first reason Jesus gives to sort of expound on this idea, why is he the good shepherd? Because Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. This would have been a, a, a completely revolutionary idea. A couple years ago, I was talking with Pastor Jason, and he shared this insight with me, 1 Samuel 8, when Samuel's warning the people of God. They're saying, give us a king. We need a king. We want a king. And Samuel says, you know what kings do? Kings take. And it's that same Hebrew word over and over and over again. Kings will take. They'll take your sons and daughters. They'll take the best of your grain. They'll take some of your stuff. They'll take your flock. They'll take your animals. Kings take, take take and they're like yeah nice speech Samuel we still want a king and maybe they thought well we just got the wrong king like Saul was a bad king so they get David things seem to be going okay he's you know fights and gets victories and all this stuff but David we remember many things about his life but the the notable thing in the tail end of his life was that he took the wife of Uriah and it's important how that's worded in the Old Testament this is not an affair. This is an abuse of power. I don't want anybody in church slandering Bathsheba. This was a king who abused his power. And the Bible names it as such. He took. And he took the wife of Uriah. And so we have this whole backdrop of we, even our best king took and Jesus shows up and says, I'm the good shepherd because I don't take, I give. I give my life for the sheep. That's what makes him the good shepherd. But it also means that we've got to, there's good news in here about the Christian life. Sometimes we get so hung up on all the, the costs of following Jesus. No doubt there's a cross. No doubt it's the, it's the cost of discipleship. But sometimes we forget that in all of the sacrifices we make, it will never be greater than the sacrifice that he gave. It'll never be greater than that. 
Anything that we give to God, give him all of it. And I hope we all have the grace to give God every part of who we are and follow him unreservedly. It will still never be greater than the Son of God giving his life for us. The good shepherd can't be outgiven. <laughs> Whatever we give, we can't, he can't be outgiven. Romans 8 verse 32, we heard it this morning. He didn't spare his own son. But gave him up for us all, won't he, won't he also freely give us all things with him? Won't he also freely give us all things with him? Jesus says, no one takes my life. I give it. I lay it down. It's in this very chapter that he says that. It's in this very passage of scripture where Jesus is talking about himself as a good shepherd that he says, no one takes my life. I lay it down. There's one more reason in this text that Jesus wants us to recognize him as the good shepherd. And that's in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I give up my life for the sheep. And then he says, I have other sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to the sheep pen. But I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. What Jesus is saying is, if we are asking, but Jesus, why are you the good shepherd? It's because Jesus knows and is known by his sheep. The Christian life is not an invitation to conform to a set of rules. The Christian life is not an invitation to behave better, be better, do better, act nicer. All of those things will come by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Christian life, Christian life is a call to come inside the fold to a shepherd who knows you and wants to be known by you. To a shepherd who knows you and wants to be known by you. Jesus is the good shepherd because he's saying, I'm, I'm not interested in just having you sort of give stuff, do stuff. I actually want this to be personal. You know, sometimes at New Life Downtown, we, we, we are careful to make sure that we don't mistake that because the Christian life is personal, we don't think that it's private. And so we want to emphasize this. It's personal, but it's never private. And so we talk about the communal ramifications of the gospel and the social implications of the kingdom. And it's great to expand our picture. But every once in a while, we also got to say, and it's deeply personal. And it's deeply personal. And Jesus doesn't want to deal with you as a crowd Jesus wants to know you and be known by you. Some of you, you're, you've been in, in church, you've been around this thing for a while, but if you say, do I know Jesus' voice? Ah. Or if you say, do I, do I know him personally, intimately, the way this scripture kind of describes it, like, ah, Maybe, I mean, sort of, I kind of know about Jesus. I kind of, I know a lot of facts about Jesus. And he's saying, no, 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 I, I want to know you. I want to be known by you. The goodness of the shepherd is that he's always calling us closer. So this morning as the worship team comes, I really want to ask you, 
one main question. Are you outside the fold? Are you in a place where you feel like, you know what, I, 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 Glenn, to be honest, you mentioned failures of church leaders. To be honest, I, I, I've had enough. I hear you. And maybe some of you are here and that's what you're saying and that's what you feel. You're like, I just, I don't want to do this, man. Like, there's just so much pain and so much ego and so much pride and so much misuse. I get it. My interest is not to call you to a church, not to invite you to join a movement. My interest is to step out of the way and say, I, I, I'm a steward, I'm an under-shepherd, but there's only one who is the true and good shepherd. It's Jesus. There's only one who is the true and good shepherd. And the rest of us, you know, we're actually just sheep ourselves too. <laughs> And we're trying, and we got some responsibilities, we got some callings, we got some things we're trying to work out. But the only thing that will sustain you over the long haul in this Christian life is not because you happen to find an awesome church, it's because you found the Good Shepherd. It's because you've been found by the Good Shepherd. And I hope we get to be a healthy community. I hope ten, we're coming up on 10 years in at New Life Downtown. I hope. We always stay humble and clean and pure and accountable. I hope that we always are a place where we'll point to Jesus as the true and good shepherd. But make no mistake, the gospel that we proclaim is not the gospel of what a person has done. It's not the gospel of what a church is doing. It's the gospel of who Jesus is. Amen? Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, the thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. If you've experienced that, you're like, well, there was a a parent or a spouse or a, a leader or a coach or a teacher or a friend or a pastor or a boss. And they were, I sort of thought they were safe. I thought they were using Jesus's name. But in the end, what they've left you with is they've stolen the life that was inside of you. Or they've killed the life that was inside of you. Or they've destroyed the life that was inside of you. This is what I want you to hear the good shepherd saying this morning. If that's true, that's not the work of God. That's the work of the enemy. That's the work of the thief. That's not the work of the shepherd. That's not his signature move. That's not his MO. That's not how Jesus rolls. If you've experienced it in church, in places that were supposed to represent the shepherd, it's okay to name it and say, that's the work of the thief. That's the work of someone who climbed over the gate, over the wall, things that were said to you, things that were done to you, that ended up stealing and killing and destroying. But what Jesus does, Jesus says, I came so that they could have life. Indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. Friends, the good news this morning is that Jesus, the true and good shepherd, is here to bring you life to the fullest. And maybe it begins as simply as recognizing that in that moment of pain that Jesus stands with you and says, that's wrong. I am against it. And I am for you. 
I am for you having life to the fullest. And maybe that's the game changer for some of you today. You're, you're like, I don't know, man. I'm just here. I'm limping my way back. I'm watching online. I'm kind of like, I'm at the level where I will like a Christian meme, but that's about it right now. There's a shepherd who's waiting to bring you into the fold. There's a shepherd who wants to bind up your wounds this morning. There's a shepherd who wants to lead you to good pastures this morning. To restore your soul, to free you, to heal you. It's not the good news of a church. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning?